A series of interviews tells the story of a crowd-pleasing 70s rock band with the beautiful and naturally talented Daisy Jones and their abrupt breakup while on tour in Chicago, 1979. The author, Taylor Jenkins Reid. The book, Daisy Jones and the Six. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit! Alexis and this is Kari and you're listening to Lit Society a podcast about books and drama yeah girl so Kari Mm -hmm. tell me one thing you did fun this week (laughs) or one thing you did for self-care oh for self-care I'll start with first I stopped allowing myself to be entertained by the news Um, I'm trying to stay informed while not completely absorbed in the day by day, which mm. is really absorbing these days. Um, it is. And very, is. you know, it's a lot. So I am choosing to read The Skim in the morning. That's a newsletter I subscribe to that gives you like an overview of the top news. And then I'm trying to like ease off of Twitter because <gasps> I love it Ooh. there. Um, <laughs> And that's a little much. Yeah. You do love it there. I just started this routine an hour ago, but it's going good. (laughs) And I really have confidence that I'll succeed. Now, what have I done for fun? Then I'll stop laughing. I'll stop laughing. Thank you, because that's rude. Accomplished this. Okay, I'll tell you what I've done for fun. And I've been missing you. (laughs) I thought about this while I was um, doing my fun thing, which I played Uno with a deck of cards that we gave away uh, last week. And it's just more fun with beautiful artwork by a a black artist. (laughs) So each card (laughs) is like a little piece of artwork and it's just fun to play with. And I did that. Um, Yeah, we played some music played some cards just me and the hubby and I was like man I wish you know we could invite our friends over too yeah but it I was love a good getting time. together with you guys and playing games and stuff I mean y'all always like try to beat to. me and stuff we do always hate when I, I win you pretty bad but that's uh, what makes it more fun for me what about I know. you I think that is what it is Ugh. anyway <laughs> what what have you done for fun this week and um, um also what did you do for self-care Okay, so I love fun, this question, by the way. Thank, thank you. Thank you. I walked downstairs and I picked up my Amazon packages. And that was like way cool. <laughs> Look at you, a little adventurous. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was out there. And then um, for self-care, I took naps this week. Okay. I took naps. Okay. Um, hello. Can I, I celebrate naps. your victories? Yes, you please. Love yes, it. Please. You go, Glenn Coco. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's move on. Now it's time for Society Says. Oh, I love this part. Your comments with the rest of our lit society. Kari, is there a comment you thought that was particularly litty? Yeah, I got a particularly lit comment. And this one comes from Amangela. This is from Apple Podcasts, of course. That's where I live. So I went over to Apple Podcasts and we have some new reviews over there. Um, like kind of out of the blue because we've been on break, really. I don't even consider last week's episode our first episode of the season. Right. This is more like our first episode of I the agree. season. I feel this the is same. a traditional episode for us. So Amangela was over at Apple Podcasts and decided to show us some love. She says, 
Love getting lit. I discovered this podcast by accident. Me too. Uh, I'm Angela. <laughs> she says, my friend and I were reading Pride and Prejudice and needed some further discussion. I binged five episodes in a day. I love it. And then read, and then there were none, just so I could listen to the episode. Uh-huh. Calling the Venet ladies from Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Chicken yeah. heads sealed the deal, but they was chicken heads, Angela. <laughs> that didn't take no creativity. Them was some gold digging chicken heads. This really is like an updated Spark Notes. Your amazing friendship comes through my AirPods, and I highly Aww. recommend. Oh, I love that. Thank you, Thank Amanda. You. Wow, I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Thank you so much. Um, So Alexis, did you have any comments from our listeners that you thought were particularly lit? Yeah, I uh, jumped into Apple Podcast as well. And I saw a, a message from EJAMK. Okay. All right. A that's champ. what I did. That's a common name. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Okay. And they said authentic, fresh, funny, insightful. I just like those words. So yeah. I had to read it. I feel like that is a particularly litty <laughs> comment. OK, get I into can't believe it. anyone would apply them to us. But thanks. Yeah, <laughs> we, we are fresh. <laughs> I feel fresh. <laughs> OK, well, that's why I shower every day. I don't play no games. Well, OK, well, maybe I like insightful. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that for you. Mm-hmm. You do be insightful. I think weeks later on an episode, like, oh, I see what she was saying. That book was dumb. Okay. <laughs> Remember, readers, to have your comments shared, message us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or, and we especially love this one, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Do it, do it, do it, do it. Let's get into it. Mm-hmm. Moving on right along to our theme of the week. All right. So listen, the book is about music. So we're going to talk about music. Okay. That's what we're going to do. Because each week we select a theme to discuss that's inspired by the book that we're reading. <laughs> Did you guys understand that? If this is the first episode you've ever had. You know, okay, we get well, tired of repeating the same. <laughs> we get tired of repeating the same cues. So we like to mix it up. Go ahead, girl. You I got do, it. I if do. you didn't understand that, go back and listen to a previous episode. Not last week, though. Go ahead, girl. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to move right along because I said we select a theme, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and the theme is it. selected mm-hmm. it. <laughs> selected. The theme is selected. And the theme is about our favorite rock groups of the 70s. And I'm just going to twist that up a little bit because um, I have a horrible memory. So we're just going to talk about rock groups. And if you got favorites, you know, share them. Oh, I love share that. Them. Because my memory is jogged through conversation. Okay, not- cool myself thinking about it because you're asking me to dip into a well that is not filled okay it's got some missing spots okay great all right so uh let's let me start by saying i of course we get a lot of our music from our parents right yeah they share introduce us to stuff and Mm -hmm. and i don't know can we say that as children we learn to love it because we appreciate various things about it or can we actually say that we learn to love it because our parents play it so much. What do you think? The music I grew up listening to, um, like when I think of my parents' vinyl records, um, is not, I I mean, I love that music, but more in my tweens and teens, I developed this love for like, for lack of a better phrase, old white people music. (laughs) 
Mm. And that came, I think it's related because in my opinion, all American music has the same source or the same um, informed musicality that kind of pushed the sound. So okay. that the, the records that I listened to still had um, were influenced by or still influenced the music that I started to experiment with um, as a young teen. And so, oh, okay. so this music for me, like when I think of rock music from the seventies, I don't directly associate it with my parents or any of my friends. Oh, interesting. Okay. It was like, <laughs> I gotta stop bringing him up on the show, but sometimes you hear an artist and you're like, this was made for me. This yeah, song was made that. for me. Mm -hmm. And I bring up Gallant a lot, but that was one of the last times when I played like an EP or a full album, a full LP and felt like Every song, the cadence, the sound, it like resonated with something in me instantly. I didn't have to, it didn't have to, I didn't have to learn to love it. I didn't have to learn the qualities about it that I needed to appreciate. I just instantly loved it. Love them first here. And so I feel the same way about the songs I'd like to uh, talk about with you. What about you? How did you discover rock music from the 70s? That's not your generation. Also, y'all, we ain't this old. So for us to go back, 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 to back, to back and like discover this music and love it. Why? Why did that happen for you? Um, I got to say it's because um, I want to say the radio that I was listening to. It, it's really hard to say. I, I can think of some th songs that I heard my mom play, but I feel like um the radio. I can tell you exactly what that. happened. So we from Milwaukee and the music <laughs> your mom played didn't come through clear on your radio. So you was like, well, I might as well listen to the station that's got the strongest signal. And it was this. And you was like, okay, well, it's cool, I guess. They got drums in it. <laughs> I'm not going to fight you on that. I'm not going to fight you on that. I'm not just going to fight you on that. So let's get into this discussion a little more. And why don't you tell me about some of your favorite songs? And I'll try to uh, think about if I remember them. Because again, well, let me go back. Like, are there any bands that you remember loving? Um, I remember Blondie, and they were in the oh, 70s. Is that Do you remember right? Blondie? Mm -hmm. So I never got into. Um, Blondie or any like uh, female band. Oh, I'm lying. So no, I just never got into Blondie. And that okay. will forever be pop music to me because that sounds sounds almost 80s. Like oh. it sounds almost now, right? Blondie. Because I feel like a lot of 80s music is coming it's back. coming back. Mm -hmm. um, well, that's entirely possible. But I do remember them. And again, you know, and my youth. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that old. All right. We sound anxious. <laughs> Blondie, what? Uh, um, <laughs> but then there, there was also Captain and Tennille. But are they? They don't sound familiar to you. So not really. Can you give me a? I know that name. That's a name. And if someone would have said Cap Captain and Tennille, I would think um, a sitcom, like a television sitcom that came on <laughs> after the Love Boat, or okay. a band. <laughs> Maybe what? When was the? When did the Love Boat come out? I don't know. Was that in the 80s or the 70s? I'm just <laughs> trying to, to think blow my about mind. when this music that I'm, well, I th though that music was definitely in the 70s. Um, oh, they Captain Antonio. Okay. Yeah, they sang um, Do That To Me. Do That To Me mm -hmm. one more time. I didn't listen to like that. that bad music. Listen, Do that to you one more time. It, it was, it Hold was on, that. I'm about to play something right quick. And for everybody watching on YouTube, we're cutting out all the music from our YouTube episode. Sorry. 
because we ain't trying to get in trouble. So um, if you want to hear these songs that we're reminiscing over, please head over to Apple, Spotify and everywhere else. So let me play this song you say exists. Hold on. Okay. Can you hear it? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So we're talking about rock music from the 70s. This sound like elevator music. Hold on. It- What you doing one more time? Falling asleep. This is a song for um Insomniacs. Help me fall asleep one more time. That's beautiful. Should I keep playing? No, don't keep playing. Why don't you shoot out some names and I can see if I can get behind them, okay? Okay. No band. Um if if the soundtrack of my years from eleven to sixteen were I mean, to be you made it out and everything. Okay, get into yeah. it. I'm ready for you. You know how uh, the best Batman soundtrack is just the Prince album. Yeah, well, the soundtrack of my life would be an Aerosmith album because Aerosmith did that. They do that. They never miss. That and was the third band I was that I could remember. Go for it. Go for it. They make those soft, sappy songs with their daughters in the video, and everyone's <laughs> like, "Oh my goodness, this is like." Uh, you know, borderline <laughs> lame, but those songs last. And they also make those heavy guitar sounds. Here, this is probably my favorite Aerosmith song. Um, I'll just talk about it a little bit. It's called Last Child. Came out in 1976. And to me, it's easily about someone who's trying to find their feet in the city, the big city, maybe New York City, maybe Chicago. Um, but their roots are in the South or in a slower pace of uh slower paced life mm-hmm. and has so many families that I know. So uh, here, this is Last Child by Aerosmith. And let it, let it rock. I really want you to, uh, do you have, do you remember this song? No, I won't remember it till you play it. Okay, listen <laughs> to this. That's how bad my memory uh, is. <laughs> that's okay. Listen to this guitar. Yep, I remember it. <laughs> Should I just keep going to your no, memory? No, keep jog? going until my right. memory is jogged. That's how I function, okay? So uh, we ain't going to spend all day on this because this could easily be its own episode. Absolutely. But, uh, 
But I will say that um, as far as the ladies are concerned, there was one <laughs> woman that always had my heart. She had some um, addictions like a lot of artists uh, did these days. In the 70s, and do now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and she sang the, so can I just honestly. Say, yeah. Can I just say in the 70s, it was it was like it wasn't considered an addiction. It was just like a lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> If so, I could just add that. Mm-hmm. And perhaps some of the side effects of these drugs were not known yet. So people right. were reckless, but also yep. ill-informed. Yep. Um, so it, do you know who I'm talking about, maybe? Not yet. No. Okay, let me just play. Nothing. Ain't nothing, honey, if it ain't free. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> do you remember this song? I, I should know this. But it's not coming to me. I'm going to just keep playing until you know who it is. Don't do me like that. Probably like her most popular song, too. It's real basic. Not judgy if you don't know who it is. I feel it already. The judge is coming through the screen. Yeah, let me take it to the middle. song that Dravin knew Freedom's just another word for you know who that is <laughs> I I have um I'm not gonna guess because I don't so want to guess Janice wrong. Joplin. Yeah, it's just what a I little thought. More, little more that. Mm. I was oh, really nervous about being it. wrong. So, <laughs> oh, who cares? I, I'm always wrong, and I don't want to be wrong anymore. <laughs> You're never wrong. It. It's fine. I it's hate it. Place. an article um that said that after her death um there was a like a really big her along with a few other people there was a decline in um that style of rock and then um a rise in others so i thought that was interesting but definitely I, i'm familiar with janice joplin don't remember that song unfortunately but oh, um but yeah, I know the voice, oh and I was God, like, I know yeah. that's Janice. I know that that's Janice. Like, scrapey, kind of like just rock voice. If it's yeah. a rock voice, that's a rock voice. Yeah, yeah. So, so what does that? You got some more stuff. Well, lastly, I would like to um, jag your. I've decided I don't know what rock is, um, since all these this music was informed by the same source to me. Um, I definitely let some funk slip into my um, memory also. And one of the biggest funk records I remember growing up was um, released in like 
76, by a man with big star glasses. Now, this <laughs> vinyl we <laughs> did <that> have. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, his name was Bootsy. Bootsy Collins. <laughs> and I'd like to just play a little. Do you know any uh, Bootsy songs? I, I only when I hear them. Okay, here we go. Now, go ahead. I was going to say. Say it again. That's <laughs> We're going to start from the beginning on that. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the thing is there's there's this category of rock and there's so many ja- subgenres under yeah. it. And so these a, a lot of stuff falls into it because you got the soft rock and then the emergence of a little um, rock and um, punk funk with it. Yeah, so, absolutely. And, and that's how they fit in there. So I don't feel like I have to um, divide the genres any more than they already are. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. Here we go. Sorry. is amazing in fact do you Uh-oh. remember this one maybe girl please don't take us off the air for this I know you're very controlling about your stuff yeah mm-hmm. you remember that song yeah and, and so I'm scared to play anymore uh huh <laughs> a lot of these songs from the 70s they were used in later um Sampled up and down throughout the days. Never will not be sampled. So they stay with us in that way because we always get to hear them. There's a um, guy on social media that I like when he does a little skit. um, Spice Adams. And he does the little skit where he says. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, um, what does he say? He says, um, it just. Take uh, your time. (laughs) He says, um, when you realize you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he's and driving I in the car, he's like that. singing the old version uh-huh. and stuff. <laughs> he, he's playing the old version, yeah. but singing the new version. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> what? And he's always so shocked. I absolutely love those. I haven't seen one in a long time, but I love them because yeah. it's so real. All, how, all of that has been just redone. Nothing new under the sun, if I could insert that. Okay. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and I feel like the the sound from the 60s, 70s, and our parents' um, generation, 
was probably the height of American music. Nothing mm-hmm. to me sounds new since then. Mm. And mm. everything is kind of derivative now. And that can be good. Like we just heard Beyonce sample Bootsy Collins. Right. Um, but it's not original. It's not original. <laughs> it's not. And I ain't going to say if you don't sample, you ain't original because then hip hop wouldn't exist. But um, <laughs> there are the limits there. And all these artists and bands uh, that we talked about, even if they were solo, the music uh, mattered more than like their, I don't know, the numbers and algorithms at the time that didn't exist. So they all had bands. Even yeah. if you were a solo artist, James yeah. Brown had a band yep, and would band. call out to band members. Oh, yeah. Did I play? Did I nope, play? No, no, no. Oh, OK. I take everything back because I, I mean, is this rock? I don't know. It's not, though. OK, that's the last. That's the this the one of the last songs I'm going to play today. Okay. This isn't a music podcast, y'all. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> here. You remember this? Hey! Mm. Hey! Yeah. Got, got to pay back. Revenge. Uh. I think he's considered funk. Um, yeah. uh, uh. <laughs> I think he's considered funk. And you oh, know, yeah, soul. Sure. Okay, funk that and makes soul. more sense. Funk and soul, sure. Mm-hmm. The Godfather of Funk and Soul or something. Yeah. Godfather um, of Soul. But oh, okay, sorry. But I just love how you can scream out just anything. And it's a complete story. <laughs> this is a story of somebody that conspired with his girlfriend. To get him in trouble for stealing. And mm. that ain't right. That's what he say. Make him want to holler, start a fight. <laughs> um, and I know you remember this song from like our years. Yeah. Oh, oh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. In the middle of the day now, baby, I seem to think And uh, yeah, that's the best sample of payback I ever heard in my life because it's basically just them singing over the song. Hey, I love it. Don't change nothing. Get into it. So, yeah. I love that. Thank you. Flashback into the past. And it was fun. The reminders, the joggings of memories. Yes, <laughs> yes. I appreciate in that. In fact, YouTube, I'm going to just leave that in until they make me take it down. What? Now nah, it's going to be instantaneous. YouTube don't play. They do not oh, well. play. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway, thank you for sharing that um, blast for the past. And we're going to yeah. take a quick break. Sounds good.
Did you expect to be back so soon? <laughs> it's so early in the morning. I'm Less just getting it together. I told you I'm going to come back with the break sooner, okay? <laughs> Why don't you give us some background? Do you know how the show goes? Uh, I do, but something uh, made noise, and I'm like, wait a minute, is that computer-related noise? I know that was you blowing the wind. I wouldn't Blowing. go say nothing, but the, ooh, <laughs> wow. No, it was actually computer related noise, but I don't know the source of it. You see how your friends do you? I guess that's called love, I suppose. I suppose. <laughs> so, anyway, give us some background on Taylor Jenkins Reed and maybe some inspiration for Daisy Jones and the Six. Okay, so our author, Taylor Jenkins Reed, and I believe Daisy Jones and the Six is her sixth book. Um, she's no stranger to the bestsellers list. After college, she worked in film as a casting assistant, but I heard she's been writing since grade school. Ooh. Um, and there, in an interview with USA Today, I found from 2018, she detailed her writing process. And I want to share it uh, with you for the benefit of all you aspiring writers and publisher, published authors out there. I know some um, some do listen to our show, surprisingly. So this is what Taylor Jenkins Reid shared. Thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. Um, She says, when I'm working on my books, I'm very regimented. I start with my idea and I know how the story begins and the story ends. But what's in the middle? I don't know. So for my first drafts, which can take anywhere from four to eight weeks, I write a certain amount of words per day. And that's what I have to get done. I have to get that done. So if that takes me four hours and I happen to have a few hours free in the afternoon, then good for me. I try to catch up on books. I'm built on blurbing or something like that. But most of the time it takes me a full day. Every single day I'm waking up and I don't know what's happening in the story. And I'm sitting down and I'm figuring it out Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. So I personally uh, this is Kari now. I personally love this take because so often writers are taught to develop worlds and lives for each character in order to inform the character's motivations. And that of course is a great method. Um, But like, I can think of Malcolm Gladwell, I know subscribes to that method and he's an amazing author, Mm -hmm. Um, particularly nonfic more um, like anthropological work he does. But, but sometimes it can be daunting for a fiction writer knowing you have to create this intense outline before writing the story. Cause the story is what you're interested in and it's the reason why you're doing everything, but you have to wait. So Reed doesn't wait. And this seems to work for her. Um, Daisy Jones and the six is based on several real life bands, including Fleetwood Mac. I mm-hmm. think she borrowed um, most heavily from their true story. Mm-hmm. It also briefly dabbles in the rock world's history with baby groupies. And these were children that adult musicians would often and openly bed. This is, this is like the way it was. Iggy yeah. Pop, for example, even wrote about Coral Shields um, and the relationship they had when she was 13. Mm-hmm. These were children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Coral Shields' sister, Sable Star, is perhaps the most famous baby groupie of all time, being mentioned with names like Rod Stewart and Alice Cooper. We're not saying that those men definitely had a relationship with her. Mm. Silence. Before COVID in 2018, (laughs) before the book was published, Amazon ordered a 13 episode limited series uh, based on Daisy Jones and the Six. So, you know, before COVID, only two years ago, it was planned to be a television show, a miniseries. And the TV adaption will be produced by Reese Witherspoon under the banner of her prolific production company, Hello Sunshine. And that's all I have on Taylor Jenkins Reid. Did you have anything on our author? 
No, nothing additional to share. Okay. So, but thank you for sharing that. For sure. Of information. So, um, let's hear a brief synopsis. This without spoilers. Okay, so a synopsis without spoilers would be. <clears throat> Comprised entirely of dialogue, Daisy Jones and the Six is the first-hand account of one band's meteoric rise to fame in the 1970s. It openly relates the few triumphs and many failures that took them from the top to the bottom and everywhere in between. But more importantly, this story is about the destructive and healing power of love. Alexis, what were your first thoughts on Daisy Jones and the Six? So when you contacted me and let me know this was the book that we were reading, I immediately looked it up and I, I liked the cover. The cover was intriguing. Um, so, yeah, I was definitely um, ready to dive in um, to this book just looking at the cover. I didn't know anything about it. I think I've, I've seen some of the author's other books. I've come across them. Um, and. Their titles were intriguing, but yeah. Yeah, she picks titles well. Mm-hmm. Like this one, I'm like, Daisy and the Six. Wow, that sounds really cool. Yeah. So yeah, I was definitely um, drawn in just by the book cover. Just by the book cover. So I can see that. Kari, who do you think would actually enjoy reading this book? All right, so who would love this book? Take Dream Girls, take Brown Sugar the movie, but make it white people music. If that intrigues you, you may love this book. That's what that's what I say. Oh, well that <laughs> Okay, that's one way to put it. So, all right. Are you ready, Kari? I'm ready. All right, we're going to take a, our first deep dive of the season. It's going to be filled with spoilers. So, yes. if you haven't read the book, stop here. If you haven't read it and you want to read it, Stop here. Yeah, don't listen anymore to our show or any of our shows. <laughs> Stop <laughs> here and come back after you've read it, okay? It's true. Yes. Kari, let's yes. have it. Let's get that deep dive. All right. I'm going to start with a content warning because this book does talk about drug use and addiction. This story is told in the form of interviews, emails, transcripts, and lyrics collected over the span of eight years with members of Daisy Jones and the Six, the renowned rock band who rose to fame in the 1970s before their abrupt split on tour in Chicago in 1979. This is the first comprehensive telling of the band's time together from each member's perspective. As with all stories of this nature, each member's telling of the same account may differ. <laughs> I'm also going to say that before I dive in, we are going to talk about like the meat of the book, but there are potatoes, veggies and sides that we don't have time to get to. So even if you listen to this deep dive, there are rich layers in this book that um, you may want to discover for yourself. Part one, who is Daisy Jones? <laughs> <laughs> a beautiful model and a famous painter lived in the hills of Hollywood, obsessed with themselves. They eventually. Had, yeah. They eventually give birth to a beautiful, gregarious little girl and name her Daisy. And then for the most part, they completely ignore her. Elaine Chang, biographer, author of Daisy Jones' Wildflower. Here is what is so captivating about Daisy Jones, even before she was Daisy Jones. We got a rich white girl growing up in L.A. She's gorgeous, even as a child. She has these stunning big blue eyes, dark cobalt blue. One of my favorite anecdotes about her is that in the 80s, a colored contact company actually created a shade called Daisy Blue. 
She's got copper red hair that is thick and wavy and takes up so much space. And then her cheekbones almost seem swollen. That's how defined they are. And she's got an incredible voice that she doesn't cultivate, never takes a lesson. She's born with all the money in the world, access to whatever she wants. Artists, drugs, clubs, anything and everything at her disposal. But she has no one, no siblings, no extended family in Los Angeles, two parents who are so into their own world that they are all but indifferent to her existence, although they never shy away from making her pose for their artist friends. That's why there are so many paintings and photos of Daisy as a child. The artist that came into that home saw Daisy Jones, saw how gorgeous she was, and wanted to capture her. It's telling that there's no Frank Jones piece of Daisy. Her father's too busy with his male nudes to pay much attention to his daughter. And in general, Daisy spends her childhood rather alone. But she's actually a very gregarious, outgoing kid. Daisy would often ask to get her hair cut just because she loved her hairdresser. She would ask neighbors if she could walk their dogs. There was even a family joke about the time Daisy tried to bake a birthday cake for the mailman. So this is a girl that desperately wants to connect there's no one in her life who is truly interested in who she is, especially not her parents. And it really breaks her. It's also how she grows up to become an icon. We love broken, beautiful people, and it doesn't get more obviously broken and more classically beautiful than Daisy Jones. So it makes sense that Daisy started to find herself in the Sunset Strip, this glamorous, seedy place. The Sunset Strip was just a short walk from their family home. And Daisy, Daisy was like suffering from boredom. She was constantly ignored and she was outgoing. So at 14 years old, she decided to walk to the Sunset Strip one night. She got into the Whiskey, which um, was a club, a local club that often showcased a live band. And she got in through the back with the band. That night, she never drank or smoked before in her life. That night, she drank and smoked for the first time, trying to blend in with everyone else. She returned home at three or four in the morning and no one even noticed she left. Mm -hmm. But for the first time, she, she felt seen um, by the folks at the Whiskey and she wanted more of that acknowledgement. Yeah. Reminder, she was 14 years old. And this story, while fictional, is based on real life accounts. Uh, it's inspired by real life accounts, I should say, not and, based on. And then mm -hmm. also... She she was 14. She wasn't getting any attention at home. So she was starved for attention. Yeah. And what did they say? She would go make an appointment with the hairdresser just to talk to her, just to talk to her. So, yeah, yeah. she was starved for attention. Yeah. So she's 14 at this point, spending her nights with adults who wanted to take advantage of her. Mm. And especially at the beginning, they often did. Uh, the scene was trying to take everything from Daisy, including her body. Simone became her best friend and Simone was 19 at the time when Daisy was 15. Simone looked at her and was like, why doesn't anyone care about this girl? Mm -hmm. So Simone became, I'll say more than a best friend. She was like a sister. She was like her only family. Yeah, she was. <laughs> and throughout the book, throughout Daisy's life, she's the um, consistency. Simone is always there for her. Um, everyone was on speed and cocaine at the time. Uppers to stay awake, downers to fall asleep. But Daisy never slept. She had chronic insomnia. And while everyone was asleep, she'd be reading anything she could get her hands on. She was a, a voracious reader. <laughs> Simone was the first friend she ever had, the first person who didn't want anything from her, who truly loved her like family was supposed to. Um, she began living with S Simone. And after two weeks, she returned home to pick up her clothes. And her dad was like, oh, Daisy, did you make coffee this morning? She's she, like, dad. He said, did you break the coffee machine? Oh, was that it? Yes. <laughs> so he, he started blaming her for stuff. And she's, and she's like, I don't, gone even, for two I don't weeks. even live here. 
that I don't even live here. He hadn't noticed she, she was gone. Simone was the only person cheering Daisy on at Daisy's high school graduation. Um, so growing up, Daisy had a, more than a few boyfriends. And this one guy she was dating who was in a rock band was writing a song about her. Late, late at night, because she had insomnia, she found his notebook and read the song that he wrote about her and was like, this ain't even me. He don't even know me. <laughs> also, these lyrics are trash. <laughs> so she was like, uh-uh, and changed the lyrics in the man's notebook. Instead of expounding on what she wrote, the guy took the exact words from Daisy and formed his band's biggest hit, never giving her credit. And it became a pattern. Guys, uh, she spent time with would steal her words mm-hmm. and add them to their lyrics or to their projects. She was out to breakfast, breakfast yeah, because she was always on drugs. She would in, for breakfast. She would have coffee and champagne. And and what was why was that like? Because champagne makes you tired and coffee uh, wakes, she, you up. Yeah. wakes you up. So she would call it an up and down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, he, and uh, um, the guy she was with was like, I'm going to use that in one of my movies. And she was like, what makes you think I'm not going to use it? Uh, they wanted her to just be their muse, but she wasn't just some muse. She I'm was not a muse. someone. Yep. Yeah. I am somebody. Yeah. Part two, meet the six. So, the, so this is a band of six people. I mean, seven really, obviously. Um, Cause the they have the front is man. a band of six. <laughs> huh? <laughs> the six is a band of six. Oh, I thought it was the front man and then six band members. No, it's it. Because it's Billy Graham, Warren, Pete, Chuck. Wait, Billy Graham, Warren, Pete, Chuck, and Karen. Check. Oh, you're right. <laughs> I can count. I'm not like they say, like dumb. Okay. <laughs> so. No, baby. So you're not dumb. No, baby. <laughs> thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You were smart. Oh, so it's six people in this band. <laughs> yes. That's why I bet they call it the six. Well, anyway. The very reason <laughs> they call it the six. You don't have to remember everyone for the sake of this deep dive, right. but you must remember Billy, who's the front man and the older brother of Graham. The two guys that matter most to the band and to the story are Billy and Graham Dunn brothers. Their father left when Billy was seven and Graham was five. He left his guitar behind and they began teaching themselves how to play with that guitar. They wanted to be the Beatles and then they wanted to be the Stones. So we have Warren Rhodes, the drummer. They liked him right away. Pete Loving was the bassist. Um, Pete went to school with Billy and Graham. Chuck William was the Williams was the rhythm guitarist. And at first, Billy was the rhythm guitarist, but he really wanted to be like the front man. So when Chuck came in, he played better than Billy. So Billy was like, great. You stand back there and I'm going to be in the front and be fine and write all of our songs. <laughs> I always wanted to be the lead man. So you yeah. go ahead and do that. OK. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you play better than me. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, they practiced constantly and took gigs wherever they could, even when they were very young. And one night in some sketchy bar after their performance, a drunk guy almost hit Graham. And this moment gives you a look into Billy and Graham's relationship, at least at the time. So this guy starts approaching Graham and is about to punch him in the face. And before he you know sees anything coming billy lays the guy out flat Mm. he always had his brother's back um and another time like in the beginning of the band graham wasn't that great of a musician and the other band (laughs) members started talking openly about replacing him and billy was like say that again and me and graham are gonna have a conversation about replacing you Mm. so it was always gonna be him and his brother don't play always stop it (laughs) At one wedding they performed at, they saw a creepy old guy dancing with a girl their age. It was their dad. 
crazy. Either he didn't recognize them or didn't know what to say. It was this moment is like awkward and sad. Mm -hmm. Um, But also that night there was a cocktail waitress in the hotel lobby. Her name was Camilla. And when Billy first met Camilla, he knew, you know, that was his girl. He had to be with her. So Billy walked up to her and said, excuse me, miss, if you give me your number, I'll write a song about you, (laughs) which sounds like trash. But, you know, you put it on the rice seasoning on it. That could work. It worked on Camilla. She liked it. He and Camilla's. It yeah. worked on all the, all the good girls, the sweet oh, girls. Oh, did he say that? Yeah, he did say like, that. Really? Oh. Really? Okay. So if you ain't good, you, you don't want no songs with him. Okay. All right. Whatever. Whatever. So Camilla is strong-willed. She's not some pushover. But it was something about Billy that she liked, too, because he was broken and she was whole. Mm-hmm. So they seem to like fit together like uh, puzzle pieces. Um, Chuck, who was the rhythm guitarist, he got drafted in the war and died. Everyone was heartbroken. Willie loving Pete's brother. Pete is the bassist took Chuck's place. So now we have two sets of brothers in a band. They eventually also recruit a female keyboardist named Karen. She left her band, the Winters, because everyone in it was trying to get with her and she was like over it. Um, But with the Dunn Brothers band, Camilla was around all the time because she was dating Billy and no one was really hitting on her except Graham and she kind of liked him anyway. (laughs) Um, So she just liked the vibe of that band better. While touring, um, the other guys in the band were spending a lot of time with strange girls. But Billy, wanting to be true to Camilla, would just be on the phone with Camilla all the time or drinking. Um, When he didn't have enough money to call Camilla (laughs) while they were on tour. So I can't explain this to y'all. I don't know if anyone calls collect anymore, but it used to be you had to get your name. (laughs) And then when the person received it, it'd be like collect call from Karina. You better answer this. Yeah. Do you accept the charges? And then they would have to like, I don't even know how they paid back then. Would they give their credit card information? That's okay. I don't know the answer to that, <laughs> but that was the opportune time to say what you had to say. So there was no charge. It was, yeah. char- oh, it was charged back to the um person. Telephone receiving. company. Right. We had <laughs> yeah. a whole thing back then. So it was Ice connected. Age. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Billy would be like, Billy Dunn loves Camilla Martinez and then hang up. So yeah. it'd be like, collect call from Billy Dunn loves Camilla Martinez. <laughs> and she thought it was so sweet. And her mom was like, girl, you don't get a life. <laughs> but she loved Billy. As time went on and the band was getting a name for themselves, Billy wrote a song about Camilla called Senora. She didn't have the heart to tell him she was actually a senorita. <laughs> the lyrics read... Let me carry you on my back. The road looks long and the night looks black. But the two of us are bold explorers. Me and my gold senora. Ooh, come through. (laughs) Producer. Okay, singer, singer, songwriter, come through. All right. With the vocals. I could be um, the mass singer. Anyway, unfortunately, Camilla and Billy's relationship didn't survive the band's tour from Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania to California. There's a lot of distractions in there. And Camilla never wanted him to leave anyway. And Billy right. never really fought. She thought for them to stay together. He just went on tour and she was mad. So she broke up with him. And they were both miserable. He was like, I'm going to be single. See how she liked that. He didn't like it either. <laughs> So that's how it goes, you know, pride. True story. 
But while on tour, they meet this um, British guy named Teddy Price. And Teddy Price begins courting the band for a record deal, which they got. They got a record deal. They signed. And while everyone's in the street celebrating the whole band, all Billy can think about is Camilla. So he runs to a payphone and he asks her, if I had a recording contract, would you marry me? And this is when he knew they belonged together. Camilla was like, you got a recording contract? Mm -hmm. Now, to me, she sounded like, you know, gold digger. But he thought... (laughs) He thought all she cared about was that I was like fulfilling my dreams. <laughs> and it was like, not... but did you get a recording contract? She was he so was like, would you marry me? Happy for him. Happy <laughs> yeah. for him. Now that's exactly, you're exactly right. But you can twist this if you will. Cause he was like, I asked if you would marry me. And she was like, did you get a recording contract? <laughs> <laughs> did you really get one? So, <laughs> did you? So, <laughs> so he was like, come to California, baby. And so they, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So Teddy Price. Teddy Price is this big British producer with Runner Records. And he had a talent for making stars out of talented musicians. You know, all talented musicians don't become stars. Exactly. Unfortunately. Um, He also became something of a father figure to Billy because Billy never had that in his life. So everything Billy did, he would run past Teddy and look for Teddy's approval. Spoiler alert. Teddy is never the villain in the story. He never betrays like that trust that they have together. Right. Um, The full band moves to California, um, the entire band and Camilla. And here Billy creates some of his fondest memories. He and his girl are together again. He's making records with his brother and his band. He'd record all night and then wake up for breakfast with Camilla. And it was like a dream to him. Teddy, uh, the producer, honed in on Billy out of everyone in the band. He said Billy had some talent that you can't teach. He believed in all of them, Mm -hmm. but especially in Billy. Um, During this time, there were drugs everywhere. People would even send drugs to the studio. People they didn't know and they would do the drugs. It was music and drugs every single day. Music and drugs. Time passes. Um, It was time to tour again and Camilla was pregnant. So they all found a minister. The band helped decorate the yard. (laughs) They found a minister in the middle of the night, the night before (laughs) Billy left to tour. And Billy and Camilla were married. It was like three o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Yes. And no one was there but the band. Um, it's So Camilla goes, it's you, us, and our team. And I will always root for us. Mm-hmm. And that really stuck with Billy. Um, but he started to succumb to his inner coward. He'd never had a father. He didn't think he could be a good father. He didn't trust himself to be the man that Camilla deserved. He just had a lot of doubts about himself. So he couldn't even look Camilla in the face before heading um, on tour. Mm-hmm. Leaving Camilla in L.A. pregnant. After their first show, which was one of the worst because he was like depressed. Um, And after a cocktail of alcohol and drugs, Billy cheated on his wife, his new wife, for the first time. Once the line was crossed, it was nearly erased. He was Mm. passing out with strange girls all the time. Camilla asked Karen. Remember, Karen's the keyboardist. Her and Camilla are like friends now, really close friends. And Camilla would be like, hey, girl, how y'all doing? Should I come see y'all? You know, what's going on? No, and Karen ma'am. would be like, nope, nope, you absolutely shouldn't. Mm, girl, stay where you at. You pregnant. What an and awkward she, position to be in, right? And she hated that Billy put her in this position to kind of lie to Karen. But, you know, Camilla did what she wanted. So she showed up one day. Hey, I'm here. <laughs> pregnant and all. And caught Billy in the act mm. of infidelity. And her words... Who do you think you are cheating on me? <laughs> this is what Cam- <laughs> big pregnant Camilla said. If you think I'm going to let you ruin our lives, you've lost it. 
she gave him until November 30th, her due date, yep. to get it together. But she went into labor early, as does happen. <laughs> and he went directly to rehab, too afraid for his new daughter to see him as a drug addict. At this point, he was even on heroin. And everyone agreed heroin is just the um, stepping stone to death. Mm. You just step on heroin yeah. and you step in the grave. So um, he so so basically uh, Teddy picked him up off tour. The producer and was like, we have to go to the hospital. Your wife's in labor early. When they get to the hospital, he's like, I can't go upstairs. I can't meet my new daughter. And so Teddy goes, Teddy goes like he the father. Mm-hmm. And Camilla's like, that's nice, Teddy. <laughs> but you can tell Billy, <laughs> you can tell Billy he has two choices. Get his butt up here and be a good father and husband or go to rehab. Listen. Those are his only two choices. Camilla so, was not playing with him. And she also was not giving up on him. Mm-mm. It was in her mind. It was them too. So whatever yep. he did, it was never going to stop being them too. Right. So those were his only choices. Um, leaving their family was not a choice. So he could be a good husband and father or go to rehab. So two months later, after a stint in rehab, because he wasn't going to be a good father and husband without rehab, mm-hmm. Billy met his baby, Julia, for the first time. Mm. Two months. He always hates himself for waiting two months to meet his daughter, his yeah. his um baby. So anyway, he got clean, met, met baby Julia. And there in that moment, a year after they were married, Billy, in his mind, committed himself to Camilla and Julia. Camilla says, you have to have faith in people before they deserve it. Mm. Otherwise, it's not faith. Part three, back to Daisy. It girl. 1972 to 1974, Daisy created a songbook that included... Uh, complete and rough drafts of over a hundred songs. She started singing here and there, picking up gigs. She was in magazines and photographed with rock stars before she even signed a contract or recorded a song. She eventually did sign with Warner, but when that contract was signed, a contract she hadn't read, she was devastated. Yeah, she was still underage at this point too, right? (laughs) There was a wild west back then, Mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah, that sounds right. Or maybe she was 18. I think she was 18 when she signed. Okay. Yeah, because this, it was still legally binding. So yeah, I think she was 18. Mm, okay. <laughs> but, but you know, you're I still a baby at 18. <laughs> <laughs> she, she didn't have anybody to help her through the process. She didn't know enough. She was young and, and inexperienced. So they, you know, do what they did. Yeah, and her best friend Simone does have her own musical career yeah. at this time. Mm-hmm. But Daisy's not always consulting with anyone either. Right. She's very, she shoots off the cuff, I think is the phrase. So yeah. she's very like headstrong. So she signed it and she was immediately depressed. She, when she found out what was in the contract, she was like, they don't care about me. They don't care about my songs. All, truthfully, all they wanted was for her to be like this beautiful cash cow. Mm-hmm. Um, And by 1974, she was refusing to record at all. (laughs) Then one day, a stranger shows up at her door. It's Teddy Price, the exact same producer of producer of uh, Runner Records, the six. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, the sixes producer, Teddy Price, shows up on Daisy's door. He doesn't say hello. (laughs) He tells her flatly to cut the crap. You have good ideas, but not a single complete song, Daisy. Mm -hmm. Listen, record this album and we'll help you. With your songs, you have the chance to do something on your own, but you'd rather just end up pregnant by Bowie. (laughs) Daisy says she's never been with Bowie. (laughs) So that was out of line. (laughs) But overall, he was right. (laughs) So after he left, she took a look at her songbook and admitted, yeah, there's not a single song complete. Not truly. So she called Teddy and agreed to do their album. And he goes, no, no, 
it's your album. She realized he was right. The conditions weren't going to be perfect, but she could make the album her own. Right. In the end, in the end, she recorded 10 ballads. She called it first. That was the album name first because she planned to make a lot more. The reception. It wasn't perfect, but warmly received. People knew her name now. She was gorgeous and interesting. It was clear to everyone that her moment was coming. That sounds like so many um, (laughs) um, musician stars. Yeah. Yeah. It just sounds like so many of their story. They have the look. And maybe their first album doesn't pop off right away, but you can see the potential in them. And it made me think, or they or they do a first album that doesn't reflect them. It made me right. think of Pink. Yep, yep, yep. That's what I'm thinking. And her of. first album was basically what T. Boz's first solo album should have been. <laughs> and listen, L.A. Reid know what he doing because that's a great album, mm-hmm. but it wasn't who she was. They just tried was. to make mm-hmm. her a white black quote unquote black girl. Right. Um, so that's the machine. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, part four: Daisy Jones and the Six. Okay, so the Six. <clears throat> It was time to put out the first single from their sophomore album, but all the songs were either too slow or too hard rock. All Billy's songs were about his family, and that wasn't rock. Some members of the band was like, I'm sick of singing about how I love my wife. I want to rock. This ain't no rock band. This is a rock band, okay? This is. Right. What kind of music is this? <laughs> I love my wife. Right. I love Camilla is her name. <laughs> they was like, this is so whack. So Teddy had an idea. Take the softest song that you guys have come up with that basically Billy wrote because he was a control he was freak. The writer. <laughs> and then add a female voice to it, making it a duet with the six. So Billy wrote Honeycomb about the life Camilla wanted after they both retired. The life Billy promised Camilla. Right. Karen's voice wasn't strong enough to sing it. She's the keyboardist. So Teddy thought, I know who, Daisy, my other client or uh, artist. <clears throat> so Daisy felt like she sounded like a cool new pair of jeans and Billy sounds like the pair you've owned for years. Their sound was perfectly harmonious. Billy wrote this song about a promise he made to Camilla, but the promise was just as much about the house and the peace that they would one day share together as it was about his sobriety. Daisy read the lyrics and got it instantly. She understood. She listened to it all night long and she got it. Billy sang his part in the studio as planned, but she sang hers as if their future was unsure. Mm. This rubbed Billy the wrong way because mm-hmm. it was getting to... The truth. Yeah. Like their future is unsure. That's how sobriety works. That was uncomfortable um, for him. Yeah. To hear yeah, it. So in it that rubbed tone. him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So he needed that future in his mind to be a sure thing. He needed this to be sure thing, or he felt like he might fall apart. And Daisy was putting to music the fact that his future wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. Daisy. I had read the lyrics to the song what felt like a million times. I had my own idea of how I wanted it to go. Billy sang it in this sort of pleading way. I thought the way he sang it made it seem like he wasn't sure he believed his own promise. And I loved that. I thought that made it so interesting. So I had this plan to sing my part like I wanted to believe him, but maybe deep down inside I didn't. I thought that gave the song some layers. When we got the mic working, you know, Artie's giving me the signal to start and Billy and Teddy are watching me. I got up into the mic and I sang it like I didn't believe Billy was going to buy a house near the honeycomb that it wasn't really ever going to happen. That was my angle on it. During the refrain, 
the lyrics were originally, the life we want will wait for us. We will live to see the lights coming off the bay and you will hold me, you will hold me, you will hold me until that day. I sang it straight through on the first go round, but the second time I sang it, I changed it up a bit. I said, will the life we want wait for us? Will we live to see the lights coming off the bay? Will you hold me? Will you hold me? Will you hold me until that day? I sang them as questions as opposed to statements. Billy didn't even let me finish before he popped up and hit the talk back. Billy. She sang the words wrong. It didn't make sense to have her keep going with the words wrong. Artie Snyder. Billy would never have allowed someone to interrupt him like that. I was genuinely surprised when he did that. Billy. The song was about a happy ending after turmoil. I didn't think doubt worked in that context. Karen. Billy wrote that song trying to convince himself that this future he saw with Camilla was a sure thing. But he and Camilla both knew Billy could relapse at any moment. I mean, the first month he was out of rehab, he gained 10 pounds because he was eating chocolate bars in the middle of the night. And then when he stopped doing that, there was all the woodworking. You'd go over to Billy and Camilla's and Billy would be obsessing over some mahogany dining room table he was trying to make. And there was all these dining chairs he'd nailed together. And don't get me started on the shopping. Oh, and the running was maybe the worst of it. For about two months, Billy would run however many miles a day. He'd be wearing those little dolphin shorts and muscle tanks bobbing down the street. Rod. Billy was trying. This was a guy who made so many things seem easy, but he was trying very hard to stay sober. And you could see the strain on him. Karen. Billy was writing songs trying to tell himself he had got it all under control. That decades out, he'd still have his sobriety and his wife and his family. And in about two minutes of singing, Daisy pulled the tablecloth from under the dishes. Rod. Daisy did a few more takes, and it really seemed easy for her. She didn't have to work for it. She wasn't bleeding for every note. But when Billy left the studio, I could tell he was pretty tense. I said, don't take work home with you. But the problem wasn't that he had brought work home with him. It was that he brought home into work. Karen. Honeycomb used to be a song about security, and it became a song about insecurity. Billy. That night, I told Camilla about how Daisy sang it with the questions. You know, Camilla's got her hands full with Julia and I'm talking her ear off, complaining about this song. She just said, it's not real life, Billy. It's a song. Don't get bent out of shape. It was so simple for her. I should just get over it. But I couldn't get over it. I did not like that Daisy turned those lines into questions and I did not like that she felt the right to do it. So Daisy's version went on the album, but on tour, Billy would sing it his way with a certainty. But then one night, at, also, Daisy wasn't touring right. with them, so Billy was right. going to do what he wanted. <laughs> he was doing it his day, way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then one day, though, they played a gig at the Whiskey, and you'll remember that's the club that basically raised Daisy, right. for better or worse. Yep. And then Daisy was there, because she lived there. And so <laughs> Daisy joined the band on stage and sang Honeycomb the Album's Way with that uncertainty. Billy despised it, but he couldn't deny their chemistry in the song. Mm -hmm. They harmonized the last part of the song together, looking at each other. And then Daisy was brought on tour as their opening act. The tour was reaching its end and Billy had held on to sobriety with white knuckles. When the manager wanted to add additional dates, though, Billy said no. He was going home. Billy said no. <laughs> Side note, Daisy had this manager named Hank at the time and she was intimate with him. So, you know, that didn't end well. Right. He was bringing her drugs and controlling her money, telling her to shut up and act right. One day she fired him after sound check for a show 
And when he left, he took the band with him before she went on stage. Mm. So she went on stage barefoot with no band and sang acapella. And it was well received. The crowd went wild because she had the star quality. And by the way, she was her often own. barefoot. And they were like, yeah. but she don't put no shoes on. Everywhere. And I think this was a thing. Yeah. I think people used to not wear shoes. It was the 70s. Oh, that's nasty. <laughs> I like to be barefoot. So I um, understand In the it. house. And some people don't do that. I like so to be barefoot to the- outside too. So Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you are a little flower child. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the show. After Daisy's set, a set during which Billy stared at her the entire time, he walked on the stage, grabbed a guitar, and sang Honeycomb alone with Daisy. Then he introduced the band on stage, and Daisy stayed on stage with them. This had never happened before. Right. Uh, she harmonized where she could and beat her tambourine. And Daisy and Billy had like this unspoken language. They were developing this unspoken language between them through the music. After the show, they landed an interview with the Rolling Stones. It always amazes me how in books these bands get interviews with the Rolling <laughs> with the Rolling Stone magazine. I'm sorry, not the Rolling Stones with Rolling Stone magazine. Um, it's the way so to go. I, it's the It magazine. It's must do. Yeah, that's why you wouldn't get it. But that's okay. Um, they Daisy be had popular. <laughs> um, Daisy had an assortment of pills in her pockets, and they wasn't Tic Tacs. So after the drugs and drinks, <laughs> Billy, who was the only sober one, and her were dancing and singing on top of a piano. It was a mood. At the end of the night, Daisy invites Billy to her room. So in her mind, she's like, let's talk. <laughs> I don't know why she, but in her mind, is very innocent. She mm-hmm. just wants to talk. Right. But she has a bag of cocaine in her hand. And Billy responds, I don't think that's a good idea. And she's like, oh, you think I'm hitting on you? <laughs> So he was determined to stay sober. And she's like, I feel so stupid, which she should, but for Mm -hmm. all the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, So Billy started in his mind. He was like, this girl is a mess. Um, (laughs) I am determined never to be alone with her. Mm -hmm. Okay. She's obviously an addict. She's a junkie. She's a, a functioning junkie. Yeah. So in order to avoid falling in love with her, he started to cultivate some hatred for her. He actively hated her. <laughs> actively. And people were like, whoa, we was partying on top of pianos yesterday. Why aren't they talking? Why Billy so mean? <laughs> so anyway, um, so when the Rolling Stone article came out, the headline read the six that should be seven. Ooh. Ooh, Billy was not happy. But he decided Daisy, who was who, again, he was actively cultivating a hatred for, should do an album with the six. Wow. So they're throwing around names for the album and for what their band should be called when producing this album. And, you know, Billy is trying to find ways to make Daisy the uh, lower tier <laughs> artist mentioned, like, you know, the six and some chick or something. Featuring. And, um, somebody was like, well, how about Daisy Jones and the six? And it stuck. <laughs> Daisy had top billing because she would speak up. So um, again, Daisy was doing a lot of drugs and she was doing them often. When she got the news about the album that it was going to be made, she was so excited and high that she walked to her parents' home, broke into the window and climbed into her childhood bed. When she awoke, the cops were looking down on her and drugs were everywhere. It looked bad. Mm-hmm. Simone, her BFF, was worried. Everyone was worried. Around this time, though, some good news. Camilla had twins. 
Looking at them, his girls, his now wife and three daughters, Billy was ready to give up everything, mm-hmm. the band, everything. He was like sick of fighting. Like I'm done with y'all. I got a yeah. whole family I want. I got, and I like these people. Mm-hmm. I want to be with my family. Yeah. Also, I find that Daisy Jones captivating in a way that makes me uncomfortable. Yes. True like, story. <laughs> e true story. <laughs> but Camilla would never let him stop being him. He started writing again. And before they even got back to the studio, he realized he was writing songs for Daisy to sing. He, she was the vocals he had in mind when he was writing. But Daisy was no pushover. Um, she stated from jump that she, she wasn't going to accept what she was going to accept and what she wasn't, excuse me. So after Daisy Jones spoke up and was like, okay, you came here with these complete songs, but we a whole band and we're all going to have some input. Who's with me? (laughs) (laughs) And the band was like, yay, some backbone. I'll take some of what Daisy's uh, serving. She was like, no way, no way. I have wanted to make my own record. And yep. it's time for me to put my work in. I have songs yeah. too. Don't come here with this complete record stuff talking about. Mm-hmm. You can read through what I got and pick which ones you like because that's what we're going to do. Right. <laughs> She's uh, like, that's cute for you, but it ain't going to work out this way. <laughs> and then all the other band members started speaking up and taking control musically of their sound mm-hmm. and direction. Um, so Teddy was like, look, we got to finish this album and y'all all got opinions. You're all special. I love you. Never forget this day. However, Teddy sends Billy and Daisy to his pool house to complete the album <laughs> and, and to just get it done. They start fighting right away. Daisy's like, and I love this line. You can't keep writing apology songs to your wife and making the band play them. Nobody wants to listen to it. Nobody wants to do that. We're a rock band. <laughs> okay and billy was like well man well if it isn't about drugs you have nothing to say so they were trying to cut each other deep daisy walks out but then she comes back not wanting billy to have the opportunity to write a whole new album on his own he is not gonna gonna let you be happy Uh -uh. (laughs) you ain't gonna get me with that one so so they agreed to aurora um, and I think that was their first single. And it was a song he wrote, mm-hmm. of course, yeah. for Camilla. For Camilla. Always for Camilla. <laughs> but that's it. <laughs> Everything else had to be new. So Aurora and then the band songs. <laughs> they started playing a game of truth or truth, just being completely honest with each other. And their logic was they couldn't write together without being honest. Um, Billy would ask, how many pills do you take per day? And then Camilla would ask, what makes Camilla? I'm sorry. And then Daisy would ask, what makes Camilla so great that you can't stop writing songs about her? Billy answered this question, by the way. He says, if I work every day to be the guy she sees, then maybe I can come close to it. Mm. When are you going to give up pills? <laughs> Billy asked. All his <laughs> questions was about her drug use. Like, stop it. I came clean. You too can be clean. <laughs> yeah. Get into yeah. it. And you need to. Mm-hmm. You have to want to. Um, and Daisy was like, you know, it's like some of us are chasing our nightmares the, w- the way other people chase their dreams. Uh, I love that line, too. So they finished a song and sang it for Teddy. And Teddy was like, I'm a genius. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, he's he's English. So he, so he was like, uh, Tommy Custard, I'm a genius. I don't know. So anyway, <laughs> just scratch that. Scratch that because our friend's going to talk about it. Scratch that. OK. <laughs> so. <laughs> I left Teddy's that night and I rushed home. It was late and I was feeling guilty about it. I walked in the door and the kids were asleep and Camilla was sitting in the rocking chair watching the TV on low volume and she looked up at me. I started apologizing and she said, you're sober, right? I said, yeah, 
Of course. I was just writing and I lost track of time. And that was it. Camilla didn't care that I hadn't called her. She just cared that I hadn't relapsed. That was all. Camilla. It's hard to explain because I really do think it defies reason, but I knew him well enough to know he could be trusted. And I knew that no matter what mistakes he made, no matter what mistakes I might make too, that we would be fine. I I don't know if I would have believed in that type of security before I had it, before I chose to give it to Billy. And by giving it to Billy, I gave it to myself too. And saying to someone, no matter what you do, we're not over. I don't know. Something about that relaxed me. Billy. All those weeks that Daisy and I worked on songs together, I'd I'd work as late as I needed. I'd stay out with Daisy as long as we needed. And every night when I came home, Camilla was in that chair. She'd get up when I got home and I'd sit down and then she'd sit on my lap and put her head on my chest and say, how was your day? I'd tell her the highlights and I'd hear about her day and I'd hear about the girls and I'd rock us back and forth until we went to sleep. One night, I picked her up out of the rocking chair and I put her in bed and I said, you don't always have to wait up for me. (laughs) She was half asleep, but she said, I want to, I like to. And you know, no crowd cheering, no magazine cover ever made me feel even remotely as important as Camilla. I think the same goes for her. I really do. She, she liked having a man who wrote songs about her and carried her to bed. To Billy's songs, Daisy wrote in the layers. She made it more complicated in a good way. Daisy skipped a recording because uh, she was partying one day and that wasn't like her. Um, she was at a pool. She, well, she was at her house yeah. having a pool party with strangers and drugs and a beautiful captain floating in the water. Simone was there. Simone was terrified because she was like, realizing Daisy is going to die one day and maybe soon. Mm-hmm. Um, Billy goes to Daisy's house to get her and he sees all this, this drugs. Um, Daisy had walked on some glass and her feet was bleeding and she was like out of it. And his first thought was this girl knows how to have a good time. And that scared him. Mm. So he goes home and writes a song. The song is about all the things he can't have. And it raises a lot of eyebrows because people are like, Hey, Billy, you wrote this song about stuff you can't have. And it's obviously about Daisy. And he was like, in his mind and heart, he was like, this is about drugs and addiction, you guys. <laughs> Why are you not labeling my stuff like that? I know what it's yeah. about. I wrote it. <laughs> but truthfully, it's like about both. Okay. Um, facts on facts. <laughs> he, he tries to make Daisy sit down to record the song he had just wrote. She doesn't feel like her voice is strong enough. Um, eventually, she comes back to the studio after walking out and reaches deep inside of herself to produce the vocals needed for this song. And I think like she walked out and then Billy drove to her house and begged her to sing it. Yeah. And she finally did. And Um, she wasn't one that really had to work to produce a good sound. She was just naturally talented, but this one required great effort from her. And so she needed that kind of kick in the butt to push through. And by the way, your nails are looking fabulous, sis. Thank you. That's Astro Wifey in Chicago. Okay, Thank give you. Her, give her all the She's props. an artist. And they look mm-hmm. really great. They're really Thank great. Thank you, my friend. Okay. Love you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, the things Billy and Daisy would say would never say aloud, they put in their songs. Lyrics like, I believe you can break me, but I'm saved for the one who saved me. Mm. Mm. 
or write a list of things you'll regret. I'd be on top smoking a cigarette. The lyrics in this book are convincing. Very, very. I don't know how they were received by the Goodreads crew because they hate everything, (laughs) but I'm loving them. So one night, Billy is really pushing the song he's been working on. and He sings the lyrics. Nothing I wouldn't do to go back to the past and wait for you. I like riding with you, Daisy says. <laughs> <laughs> I like a lot about you, Billy responded, and they kissed. <gasps> this is where I just closed the book and just shook my head for an hour. Mm. So Billy breaks away. He's like, I can't, I can't. <laughs> I don't even know if they're from the South, but that's okay. I didn't think so. Okay. You know, <laughs> I, can't, I can't do it. And so anyway, he leaves and heads home to his wife and three kids. Mm. You're home early, yeah. Camilla says. I wanted to be with you, Billy responds. Billy thinks about this time when um, he, he's thinking now about a time when they were little and Graham was sitting on the edge of a pool. And I love the way he described this because... The only thing stopping the biggest tragedy in Billy's life was Billy choosing not to push his brother in the water. Mm. <laughs> He's like, you could drown right now. And that would be the worst thing to ever happen to me. And the only thing stopping it from happening is my self-control. And I don't like it. Mm. <laughs> so that's how he felt in that moment with Daisy. Um, Daisy, meanwhile, is feeling lonely and she calls Simone. Simone, the only constant in her life. And Simone says, and I have to read this part. Simone says, do me a favor, picture a map of the world. Daisy says she was not in the mood. Simone insists, just do it, just picture it. So she did. Um, And then Simone says, and you're in LA, you're a blinking light. You with me so far? Daisy says, sure. And you know, you blink brighter than anybody. You get that, don't you? Daisy's like, sure. Just humoring Simone. Mm -hmm. And then Simone says, and then in New York today and London on Thursday and Barcelona next week, There's another blinking light. And that's you, Daisy says. Simone says, that's me. And no matter where we are, no matter what time of day it is, the world is dark and we are two blinking lights Mm. flashing at the same time. Neither one of us flashing alone. Mm. Friendship. And I cry. Mm. That's so beautiful. That's friendship. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so um, (laughs) the song that... (laughs) So, I love you, Alexis. No, I love you too. Okay, so, and all my friends listening out there, you guys are great. Ooh, <laughs> sorry, so I'm really, moved by that. It, so is, it is absolutely very, very beautiful. So you can have your moment. I will not mock you. <laughs> Thank you, because you know if the shoes on the other foot, I mock you for weeks. Exactly, you know, that's true friendship. Don't exactly. do to me what I would do to you. <laughs> Somebody got to be the uh, mature one. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. So uh, wrapping it up. (sighs) So the song that poured out of Daisy after that kiss was Billy with Billy um, was something like this. When you look in the mirror, take stock of your soul. And when you hear my voice, remember you ruined me whole. Mm. When you think of me, I hope it ruins rock and roll. Billy heard and was like, nope, we're not recording this. And the band was like, you crazy. We absolutely are. She said, so they record- listen, band, okay, he don't want to do this, but I'm going to put it to y'all because that's the way she did it. She's like, oh, you are yeah, not he was the trying end to act all like be a, all. Like he believed in democracy, yeah. <laughs> he was like, what do y'all Sorry. think? Oh, yes, a real rock song. Let's do it. We are a rock band. 
<laughs> right. So he was like, hey, y'all, I believe in democracy. What you think? And they was like, yeah, we absolutely recording it with or without you. You know, we autocracy now. Because like you've been for the last few years. Yeah. Um, OK, so the song was recorded just with Daisy in the band. And then they have this album cover shoot with a guy from, I think, from the Rolling Stone magazine again. Yes, yes. They're getting a lot of press in the Rolling Stone magazine. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and the chemistry and the like tension between Billy and Daisy is palatable. Um, palpable. Sorry. <laughs> it's palpable. And um, the cover ends up being like their torso. It's just Daisy and Billy and the band is like on the back <laughs> of the uh, cover. Which, you know, they don't love, but they get it because the cover ends up being iconic. You know, Moving I on. reading yeah. that, I was like, I would love to see this cover, what this cover I, looks like. I really wish it like, just like the lyrics yep. are included in the back of the book. I wish there was like some images too, like they did a photo yeah. shoot. But, you know, then that takes away our license to imagine the artist direction in any way we want. Well, the movie going to do that or the, whatever they yeah, going to do that anyway. You're right. Mm-hmm. I ain't gonna watch that. <laughs> so anyway, so Teddy and Billy got to um, iron out the final details of the album. Now, they were just going to clean it up, but they completely took over as they always do. And when the band heard the final album, they were shocked because so much of it was changed. This, however, was their best album. And it didn't reflect each member like it originally did, but it did reflect Billy and Teddy. And so it was their best because <laughs> they actually knew what people wanted to hear. <laughs> Meanwhile, um, Daisy met Nikki, Nicolo, an Italian prince in Phuket, Thailand. I think that's Thailand. Mm-hmm. They head to Rome and get married. Simone hunts Daisy down and finds her with her new husband. Well, she had Daisy invited and her Nikki. and then left. But then she forgot <laughs> and then she got married. Listen, Daisy's a junkie. I don't know if I told you. She ain't gonna remember stuff. Oh my goodness. She invited so this Simone, woman to meet up with her and then ran off and got married and was didn't even tell her. Junkie. Simone's like, no. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, Nikki, this new Italian prince, uh, I'm sorry, husband, that's an Italian prince. By the way, Italy no longer has a monarch. He's just like a prince in uh, culture. So meanwhile, um, Nikki almost convinces Daisy not to leave for the airport when it was time to promote the album because he was like, you ain't got to do that now. You married to me, mm-hmm. an Italian prince. Mm-hmm. Tutto posto, bene. <laughs> so anyway, um, she was like, man, this thing that means everything to me means nothing to you. Yeah. That's like a little warning flag. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Simone knocked on the door and told Daisy though, to get your bags and get in that cab. Now Simone wasn't going to allow Daisy to give up on herself. Simone was the one person who would never steer Daisy wrong. She had her back once again, back with the band, Daisy and Billy weren't on speaking terms. They would kind of talk around each other. And when Daisy and Billy disagreed, Nikki almost fought Billy one time. And then Billy Dunn was like, I'm done. I'm Billy Dunn and I'm done (laughs) with Daisy. (laughs) Another Rolling Stone cover was in their future. (laughs) And now the whole article. Yes. Oh, right. A whole article. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, With Daisy Jones and the Six, this new band. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one night, the uh, journalist from the magazine is there to interview the band after the show. No one was available but Daisy. He asked, noticing the tension on stage, what's up between you and Billy? And she told him everything. It should also be noticed um, or noted that she was high, but she's always high. The next day, the Rolling Stone journalist asked for Billy's side. 
And he's honest with him. He lists, he says, listen, Daisy tells me you spent the first years on tour cheating on your wife Whoa. and you missed the birth of your daughter because you were in rehab. Whoa. You don't want me to print that? Give me something better. <laughs> and so Billy gives him a quote. Talent like Daisy's is wasted on people like Daisy, mm. Billy says. And this was a much more compelling story than that of a reformed drug addict. Right. This was the story of amazing music coming from two writers who loathed each other. That's the article they went with. And that's what went to print. And the article, which may have tore the band apart, like uh, catapulted right. the album. Right. Daisy says it's an album about meeting someone and having them love someone else. Billy says it's an album about the push and pull of stability and instability. It's about love because it's easy to disguise almost anything as a love song. People would buy out all their uh, all the tickets to their shows, completely selling out their shows in order to see this Rolling Stone article live mm -hmm. for themselves. And if you thought Daisy and Billy hated each other, you'd find evidence of it on stage and how they looked at each mm -hmm. other and when they sang. And if you thought they were secretly in a relationship, you'd find evidence for that, yeah. too. How entertaining, uh, the band, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the van went on tour and it was intense. Daisy was a junkie. Nick, her prince husband, was even worse than she was. They almost even like burned down a hotel yeah, one night mm -hmm. smoking. Um, sometime later, Daisy and Nick, high on a lot of stuff all at once, head up to the roof of their hotel and Nick leads Daisy to the edge. Um, she asks him if they should jump. Could be fun, he replies. <laughs> And this was one of the first time Daisy realized that she was in trouble. Mm -hmm. They didn't jump, by the right. way. But she was like, man, that's kind of crazy. The tour ended, but things got worse for Daisy, who was sinking deeper into her future grave. The morning we were supposed to fly to Seattle, I woke up and Nikki was sitting over me. I realized I was soaking wet, sleeping in the base of the shower. I was groggy and confused, but by that point, I always woke up groggy and confused. I said, what happened? He said, I thought maybe you overdosed on the secondals or something. I couldn't remember what else we took. You know what happens when people overdose on secondals? They die. I said, so you put me in the shower? He said, I tried to wake you up. I didn't know what else to do. You wouldn't wake up. I was so scared. I looked at him and my heart just sank because while I have no idea whether or not I overdosed or what exactly happened that night, I could tell he had been truly terrified and all he did was put me in the shower. My husband believed I might die. And he didn't so much as even call the concierge. A switch flipped in me. It was like one of those breaker switches, like on a circuit box, you know, how they take a lot of pressure to flip, but then once they catch, they switch over with force. I switched over. I knew right then and there that I needed to get away from this person, that I had to take care of myself, because if I didn't, he wasn't going to kill me. He was going to let me die. I said, okay, thank you for watching me. I said, you must be tired. Why don't you take a nap? And then when he was asleep, I packed up all my things. I took both plane tickets and I went to the airport. When I got there, I found a payphone. I called the hotel. I said, I need to leave a message for Nicolo Argento in room 907. The lady was like, okay. Actually, she probably said Bene. I said, right, Lola Lacava." want a divorce. She wasn't yet sober, but she was on track towards sobriety. She started showing up on time and making sense. She sang with intention, singing her own songs nearly sober. She was a force. By the way, drugs doesn't don't make you a better musician. I know people feel that. That ain't how that right. A surprise to no one but them, Daisy Jones and the Sex record um, a record that wins record of the year at the Grammys. 
Before the show, Billy said, yeah, Daisy can speak on behalf of the band because he never thought they'd win. (laughs) When she got the mic, this is what she said. Thank you to everyone who listened to this song and understood the song and sang it along with us. We made it for you, for all of you out there, hung up on somebody or something. It was an iconic speech. Mm -hmm. Sometime after that, there was a shift and Daisy and Billy began speaking again. The band performed on SNL and Daisy was the number one rock star in the world. She and Billy sang on the same mic during the show. And at the end, when he took her hand at the end of the song, her hand seemed to hum to his touch. He then called an audible. The second song the band was supposed to sing together, but he said, no, let it just be me and Daisy. And we're going to sing a ballad that we wrote. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The rest of the band stood backstage and watched as Billy and Daisy looked into each other's eyes on live TV. Daisy realized in that moment how completely in love she was and how sad it all was. With a lump in her throat, she started singing and it broke everyone in the room. Billy says at this moment in the book, I love my wife, but Daisy and I were the same. How could I be around Daisy Jones and not fall in love with her? I couldn't. But Camilla meant more. My family meant more. Camilla meant more. Passion is fire, but we're made of water. Mm. And I wanted Daisy to find her water because I couldn't be it. Mm. That night, Billy called Camilla, who had watched the show, and Camilla was heartbroken because she could see clearly on stage the love between them. Um, Their conversation was brief. And then after they hung up, moments later, Daisy shows up to Billy's room with one request. I want to get clean. Please help me. So he pulls her inside and dumps all the alcohol from the mini bar out of the window. They sit down to map out a plan for recovery when a call comes through. Teddy Price has had a heart attack. He's dead. Billy's first thought, why did I dump the booze out of the window? If he was going to break sobriety, that would have been the moment. But fortunately, he didn't. After the funeral, all anyone wanted to do was get back on the road to tour through the pain. Camilla was on the road with them this time with her children. And Daisy was even worse off. Simone wanted to force her into rehab, but that's not how rehab, that's not how recovery works. Um, She looked at Billy, Daisy Wood, singing her soul, singing the words they wrote together. and. It left her raw each night. Mm-hmm. It truthfully, it left like both of them raw. She wanted him to look at her like he did that night. They performed on SNL and he wouldn't because Camilla was there with his children. And that's where his heart was. And she had to keep singing to him despite this. And it killed Daisy to see Billy look at Camilla to look at his wife. Ooh. Anyway, so uh, you guys want to hear Honeycomb? Unexpectedly, Billy uh, blurts this out at one of their shows. Daisy felt lost in a moment with Billy as they shared one mic. Daisy looked to the side of the stage at Camilla and she sang the song as Billy wrote it without any doubt in the lyrics. In that moment, she gave Billy the assurance that he needed, that he never had in life. Daisy gave that to him as he sang the song the way he she sang the song as he originally wrote it. The certainty that he and Camilla would have the life he promised and that he and Daisy would never be. It became clear. Instantly, he mourned for the love he and Daisy would never have. And that pain sent him directly to the hotel bar. This part is so touching. Yeah. Oh, so he's yes. at the bar. Yes. He, he orders a glass of tequila. He swirls it around pensively. He takes a taste. He says, that's how it gets you. It tastes like comfort. It tastes like the opposite of what it actually is. Mm. Then he takes a sip. But then... A man at the same bar asks him if he has any kids. The question throws Billy off. He confirms he does. Got any pictures? The man says. It felt like his hand was moving through cement 
as Billy pushes the glass away. The man takes the glass and puts it on the other mm-hmm. side of him and is like, show me your family. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so Daisy walks up to her room, but cannot get the door open. OK, she's she's in a pitiful state, by the way. She's completely broken by that last performance and performing the song with that certainty that Billy and Camilla will last forever and that her and Billy will never be. And she can't get her hotel door open. And then suddenly she hears a child's voice. Daisy, I looked down the hall and I realized it was, well, out into the hallway comes Camilla and she's holding Julia. Uh, Wait a minute. Author's note. While I have made a concerted effort to remove myself from the narrative, I have included here a verbatim transcript of one conversation I had with Daisy Jones because I am, in fact, the only one that can corroborate this essential piece of Daisy's story. Yeah. You were wearing a white dress? Yeah. And you were sitting in the hallway. You couldn't open your own door. Yeah. And my mom. Yeah, your mom opened the door for me. I remember this. I was with her. I had woken up and had a bad dream. You were about five or so, I think. So you've got a good memory. I mean, I completely forgot about it. But now that you're saying it, I do remember being there with you. But my mom never mentioned anything. I wonder why she didn't talk about this with me. I always got the impression that if the story were to be told, Camilla would consider it mine to tell. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then what happened? Your mom, well, Camilla, or should I keep saying everyone's name? You said earlier that I... I had to always say her name. Yeah, go ahead. Call me Julia. Call my mom Camilla, just as we've been doing. This marks the end of the transcript. Camilla came into the hallway and she was holding Julia and she said, do you need help? I didn't understand why she was being so nice. I said yes and she took my key and she let me into my room and she walked in with me. She put Julia down on the bed. She told me to sit down and she brought me a glass of water. I said... You can go. I'll be okay. And she said, no, you won't. I remember feeling really relieved that she could see through me, that she wasn't going to leave. She sat down next to me, and she didn't mince words. She knew exactly what was happening, exactly what she wanted to say. I was unnerved. I felt so out of control, and Camilla was so in control. She said, Daisy, he loves you. You know that he loves you. I know that he loves you. But he's not going to leave me. Camilla said, what I need you to know is that I'm not going to give up on him. I'm not going to let him leave me. I will see him through this the way I've seen him through the rest. We are bigger than this. We are bigger than you. Julia got under the covers on one side of the bed and I looked at her. Camilla said to me, I wish Billy didn't love anyone else, but do you know what I decided a long time ago? I decided I don't need perfect love. I don't need a perfect husband. I don't need perfect kids and a perfect life and all that. I want mine. I want my love, my husband, my kids, my life. I'm not perfect. I'll never be perfect. I don't expect anything to be perfect. But things don't have to be perfect to be strong. So if you're waiting around hoping that something's going to crack, I just have to tell you that it's not going to be me. And I can't let it be Billy, which means it's going to be you. So Camilla wanted happiness for Daisy, but she couldn't just let her husband and Daisy torture each other. 
Daisy, you need to leave this band. You need to get clean, she told her. And Camilla was right. Daisy needed to leave, not just for Daisy, but for Billy and to help Camilla take care of her children. That's deep. Mm -hmm. Don't count yourself out this early, Daisy. You're all sorts of things you don't even know. That's what Camilla tells her. Billy returned to his hotel room that night as he sat on the floor crying, looking at his wife and his girls. He told himself, if it's between my life or rock, I'm choosing my life. (laughs) So he decided to give up on the band. And the next day, Daisy was gone. That was like the last time he saw her. But this wasn't the end of their story. Karen, Graham, Billy, Camilla, and even Eddie all went on to create their own stories after the band dissolved. Um, There's a pretty gut-wrenching side story involving Karen and Graham, but I don't have time to tell Mm -hmm. it on this here podcast. I went back and forth about relaying the true ending of this book on the show. And in the end, I decided that if you're really interested, no one can tell you better than the author did in her book. Ooh, I love- so I'm stopping here. <laughs> Cancel. Spoiler. <laughs> well, we spoiled a lot still. But still. But the true ending of the book, you should like. If you're interested, you can handle that on your own. Ooh, I, I love, love Mrs. That. Reed's words. Mm. And that's it. You want to take a yeah, break? please. What did you think of Daisy Jones and the Six? What's your final verdict? Give me your thought. Listen, I really enjoyed this story. It, the way, I like the interview style. I mean, they were all mm-hmm. given their parts and how they understood um, what happened. I liked hearing mm-hmm. where one person thought one way and somebody was like, um, yeah, that didn't have nothing to do with it at all. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like when the band's name, The Six, came about, everyone has a different reason for why they were named The Six. They're yeah. like, uh, no, that's not it. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. uh, many times throughout the story, I was thinking this was a real band. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I need to go look up their music. I, I need, I'm <laughs> like, oh, but this isn't a real story. And so I was just really drawn in by the story. I mean, it does have a lot of strong language in it. So, yeah, that was a negative for me. But uh, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. And I would pass that. I would recommend it to people who don't have a problem with strong language in a book. But the um, content, the story, very um, engaging, very engaging. How about you? Would you recommend it? So this book was so raw for me. I mean, whatever Taylor Jenkins Reid was trying to sell, I bought all of it. I cried multiple times through it. I felt completely um, just taken in by the story. Mm -hmm. I I love the um, themes throughout themes like um, something you want but can't have Mm -hmm. and what that means. And how that can be better for you and how self-control can save your life and the life of everyone around you. Um, Yeah, I I love this book. Just because you think it's a great thing doesn't mean it's a great thing. Yeah, you can be very Mm -hmm. wrong and be very sure. Mm -hmm. You can be, what is it? Strong and wrong. Strong and wrong. (laughs) Loud and wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was all there. Yeah, and. Like brown sugar, I like when you take music or a moment and condense it or distill it into a love story. Mm -hmm. I'll drink that cocktail. So that's what this was to me. 
Um, yeah, I, uh, yeah. Camilla says some things got me thinking, and I'm like, some of the lyrics. I'm like, man, this. Why isn't this a song? Exactly. Yeah. This is just so good and so touching and so real and honest. So, um, the language was strong. So I wouldn't recommend it to everyone. But I really enjoyed Daisy Jones and the Six. It's a book I would recommend. um, Yeah. And also the drug use, because um, I don't know what it is, what it's like to be recovering from anything, whether it's alcoholism or or drug use. And I don't know how it feels to read that and if that can be triggering. Um, So that's something I want to. Now, it doesn't go into um, the dark places of how it's used and things like that. But just that it keeps coming up, that might be a problem for some people. And that's real. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I love Daisy Jones and the Six and I highly recommend it. Yeah, it was a great story. I'm, I would like to yeah. hear the album also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> where, where is our album? So who should so who should make the album right now? Right now? Yep, I'll wait. Oh, why you do me like that? Why? Who should Daisy... <laughs> if someone's covering Daisy Jones songs, who should it be? I already know. Yeah, you know who I was thinking about? I, Go ahead. Because I was thinking about the hair on the cover mm-hmm. article and her wears this really big hair. And mm-hmm. so I was thinking maybe she could do um, Daisy. She's got a um, a deep voice a bit, right? She's not a soprano. S- Man, but her is Billy, <laughs> right? Because she's like the musician, the songwriter, the front man. Yeah. Who are you thinking? I mean, I'm interested in it, Rihanna, <laughs> because I love when Rihanna voice go rock, and I feel like she's got that reckless, um, added like that reckless vibe mm. that fits in with Daisy, and she could pull these songs off. She could sing about lo- regretting love and. Yeah, I want to hear Rihanna do that. And but, but her is intriguing to me because every time I'm gonna tell you the truth, I ain't never in the mood to hear a her album. <laughs> every time uh her song come on, I'm like, oh, this is gonna be moody. And then by the end of the song, I'm like, man, I guess I'll just hear it ten more times <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Let me just go and play this girl that ain't even bothered giving me a stage name. She just her. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I would I would be interested in that. Yeah, good. you're right. Or um, maybe Lizzo, but that might be a little too on the nose. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. what about Billy? Anyway, um, is there like a str- you know, I, Billy is everything. I thought, um, what's the front man for Maroon Five? Oh. I thought he was gonna be this. But Adam and he Levine just ended up. Adam Levine, man, we so far from the songs of Jane. <laughs> But I would have loved him to be something like this. But I, I don't think that's who so. He was I, be. I don't. Um, yeah, I, I can't think. I always think of a country singer, but I um, when I think of Billy Dunn, but I I can't think of anyone. And everybody's so afraid to sound bad in their singing when that can be part of the song. Mm-hmm. Like Janis Joplin didn't always sound good. She rarely did. But her voice and that was so, it. was so distinctive yeah. and. Um, it adds to it. It adds to the music yeah. itself. So, yeah, we got to think about Billy. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Wow. Okay. That was it. That was our first YouTube episode and yeah. our first recorded book episode. So, yeah, we mm-hmm. did it. <laughs> check that off of our list. Can we Yay get us. all the check yeah. marks in there? Um, yeah. We have. Appreciate it. We appreciate it, right? What it 
are we reading next week, Kari? I'm still trying to pull <laughs> it together. You're saying a lot of I know. stuff. <laughs> uh, we are reading Persuasion by Jane Austen. Ooh, Persuasion. Okay. I like me some Jane, so I'm looking forward to yeah, it. Yeah, I'm kind of, well, let's see what happens. Thank okay. you for listening to Lit Society. <gasps> we look forward to meeting with you next week, Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Honoria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We do. We love you, too. We love you guys. If you've enjoyed what you heard today, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes this month's book list and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter and until next time read read something. something